Hey, Christ community, thank you for letting me be a part of your spiritual journey today. Man, I, I want you to know wherever you are at spiritually or emotionally or physically, Jesus sees you and he wants to meet you in that place. So again, thank you for, for letting me be a part of, of that. Before I jump into the message, I want to invite you to join me on a journey uh, that I'm on actually regarding the idea of joy. For the past few months, I've been diving into this topic of joy and I've been learning some really cool and practical things about how we can experience more joy. It's having a pretty significant impact upon me personally and on my relationships. And I can't wait to share with you what I've been learning and practicing. So in two weeks, we're going to be starting a teaching series on joy. And I invite you to join me, join with me in this discovery process. If you were able to do this in a group, even better. Uh, it's going to be fun. So if you want more information about connecting with or starting a group, we have some online groups or whatever, please click on the link below or check out our app. Well, today we are actually finishing this teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount. For the past six months or so, we've been walking verse by verse through this amazing sermon that Jesus gave in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, where Jesus describes for us what it looks like to, to be people of his kingdom, what it looks like to live our lives according to the things that Jesus values. And I can't emphasize enough how significant and important this Sermon on the Mount is. I mean, in it, Jesus talks about nearly every area of our lives, our purpose, our money, our relationships, our prayer life, our sexuality, our anxiety, our attitude towards people we don't like or agree with. I mean, in these three chapters, Jesus gives us this incredible summary of what it looks like to follow him. I'm a little sad that this series is concluding because the stuff in this sermon is so applicable. I joked with someone the other day that I was tempted to actually start over next week in chapter five and just go through this again as a church. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that we master in, in one teaching series. I mean, what Jesus is describing is a way of life. So I would encourage us to continue to spend time in the Sermon on the Mount. If you miss some of the messages, feel free to listen to them on our app. I heard a, a pastor share recently how every day in his prayer time with the Lord, he prays through the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, praying that his life would reflect these values of mercy, of purity of heart, of humility, of peacemaking. I love that. However we can get the truths of this Sermon on the Mount more deeply rooted in our lives is worth it. Well, in the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus brings this entire sermon to a very powerful conclusion that's based on a very simple idea. The quality of our life is dependent upon the choices we make. I remember when my kids were, um, actually before my kids were little, when I was growing up, there was this game 
this board game we played called Life. Um, and, and, and when my kids then were little, they found this game in grandma and grandpa's closet and they loved to play it as well. You know, I checked on Amazon. It's still a thing, uh, but the newer version doesn't look nearly as fun as the classic version. The, the convertibles uh, convertibles became minivans, you know, and you can acquire pets instead of children, whatever. But anyway, this game is fascinating because it leads you through the circumstances of life, career, marriage, children, buying a home, hopefully buying insurance, all the way to the end where you either end up in millionaire acres or on the poor farm. And it was a really fun game that had, you know, certain elements of real life in it. But there was one thing about the game that wasn't a reflection of real life. Everything that happened to you in the game depended upon this plastic spinner. Remember that spinner, those of you who played that? The sound it made, the annoying sound it made? But your career and salary and various other choices in life were, were totally dependent upon chance, whatever number came up when you spun that dial. So when you get to the, so when you got to the end of the game, you realize that whether you won or lost was in large measure dependent upon chance. But according to Jesus, that's not how life really works. The quality of our life is not something that is left to chance. It's actually left to choice, to the choices we make. This is Jesus' emphasis as he brings this entire Sermon on the Mount to a very dramatic, very significant conclusion. Listen to how he ends this message in Matthew 7. Therefore, which refers to everything he said up to this point, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is God's word. What a powerful and vivid way for Jesus to conclude this sermon. He uses the analogy of building a house in order to contrast two very different ways of living. These two people he describes are each building a house. Now, in that culture, a person's home represented all of their life, right? Multiple generations of family lived in the home. It was, it was where a person engaged, you know, socially. It was where they engaged in, in their vocation often, you know, carpentry or weaving. And so in this passage, Jesus is using a common analogy to describe a very significant truth. Every person is building a life. Every person is building a life. Both of these people are building a home. They are building their lives. They are using the same basic materials. All of us have the same basic materials with which to build our lives, our time and our talents and our relationships, our choices. But the quality of life they're building is radically different. And the reason is not because of how, you know, how they happen to spin numbers on the board. No, the reason is because of the choices they made the foundation upon which each one of them chose to build their life. 
Now, Jesus' analogy here is so brilliant because it automatically draws each and every one of us into this story. The question is not, are you building a life? All of us are building a life. The question is, what kind of life are you building? What kind of life are you building? What quality of life are you and I choosing to pursue? That's the question Jesus is urging each one of us to ask of ourselves. And as we see in this passage, this question is not a superficial or trivial question. No, this question is perhaps the most important question you could ever ever ask of yourself because the implications are staggering. As Jesus describes in this passage, one path results in a life that completely collapses when a storm hits. There's not enough stability, resilience, strength to stand in the midst of life's challenges, to flourish in the midst of life's circumstances. And then the other path results in a life that is able to stand strong in the midst of the wind and the, and the rain and the storms of life. Now, there's a, there's a very important biblical word that I think accurately describes this particular person's experience. It's the Hebrew word shalom. You know, that word shalom is often translated peace, but it's a very broad and deep experience of peace. Shalom speaks of a a peace and a thriving in every area of our lives. It speaks of a wholeness, a maturity, an experience of well-being and calm, not only internally, but relationally, no matter what life throws at us. See, that's the picture Jesus is giving us here, a path in which this person experiences true shalom, this strength, this thriving, this wellness of being in the midst of life's storms. Again, this contrast Jesus describes raises this very important question. What kind of life do you want to build? Each one of us has a choice as to which of these two experiences will be ours. This is not up to chance. It is up to our choices. Okay, so what is it that distinguishes between these two very different experiences of life? Well, Jesus makes it very clear what the difference is. It is all about him. It's all about the posture of our heart toward him. He says that both of these people in this story hear his words. Both of them hear his words. They understand his teaching. The difference is that one of them chooses to put into practice Jesus' teaching and the other one chooses not to. I mean, think think of the audacity of Jesus' words here. If someone were to say to us, do what I say or your entire life will fall apart, we'd be like, yeah, right. Who are you to say that? But Jesus does say that. Jesus is making an astounding claim here. He is claiming to be the authority on how life is to be lived. In fact, look with me at the next two verses, verses 28 and 29, where we see how the crowd responds to Jesus' sermon. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the whole Sermon on the Mount, when he had finished that, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, the rabbis and the teachers of that day would base their authority on whatever rabbi they happened to be following. Oh, I follow this rabbi or I follow that rabbi. Jesus never says that. 
ever. Because Jesus isn't following some other rabbi's authority. Jesus claims to be that authority. In fact, look at just a few verses earlier in this passage. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoer. See, Jesus is claiming to be Lord. He is claiming to have the authority on that final day of judgment to dismiss from his presence religious fakes who didn't really know him. Jesus is claiming this authority to tell us the best way to live our lives. See, this is the foundational question that Jesus is driving at in this passage. Who is the ultimate authority in your life and my life? Is it his teaching as described in the Bible? Or is it our preferences? In other words, who is truly Lord of our lives. According to Jesus, that decision determines the foundation upon which we build our lives. That decision determines the quality of life that we will experience. I mean, imagine putting in all the effort and finances and materials to build this beautiful, amazing house, but to do so on a foundation of sand. It doesn't matter how comfortable the house feels, how cozy the living room is, how amazing it looks, how awesome the appliances are, how well insulated the walls are, what kind of roof it has. It, 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 it doesn't, none of that matters. It is one storm away from entirely collapsing because it is, it is built on sand. Our lives may seem like things are good, but if, they're, if, if we're not building on the foundation of Jesus, by putting into his teaching into practice, we too are just one storm away from things falling apart. That's what Jesus says. Now, usually when we hear this story, we think of it in a binary way. You're either the person building your life on the rock or you're the person building your life on the sand. You're either one or the other. And in fact, some Christians even import salvation onto this text, you know, that this text is talking about who's getting into heaven and who's not. And when we view this passage through that reductionistic lens, we end up letting ourselves off the hook. Oh, I'm saved. You know, Jesus is my foundation. But, but I think that approach completely misses the point that Jesus is making. It misses the power and the relevance and the impact of Jesus' words in each of our lives. This passage is not about salvation in the typical way many Christians think about it. Have you prayed some prayer? Are you in or out? No, this passage is not about us getting to heaven. It's about getting heaven into us, into every area of our lives. I love how pastor and, and, and author John Mark Comer states this. He, he says this, this is not about a transaction but a transformation. It's not about what God wants to do for us, but what God wants to do in us. It's not just about what happens when we die, but what happens if we live. 
I love that. This passage is about whether or not we will choose to experience life and shalom and wholeness now. It's about whether or not we will choose to become someone who lives and loves like Jesus right now, which changes the whole way we view this passage. See, what I believe Jesus is saying, and this is consistent with the entire Sermon on the Mount, is that there are multiple areas of our lives in which we are choosing between a foundation of rock or sand, depending upon what we do with Jesus' teaching in that particular area. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands us to forgive those who hurt us. When we do that, even though it's not easy, we are choosing shalom. We are choosing life. We are choosing to build this portion of our lives on the foundation of Jesus and to be formed into his image. But when we choose not to do that, when we choose to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to a grudge, to hold on to our hatred, we are building that area of our life on sand. We are choosing what we think is best and what feels better to us or whatever, rather than what Jesus commands. And there are consequences to that decision, but not the consequences that we typically think. We, we typically think of the consequences of disobeying Jesus in terms of some eternal judgment in the future. But that's not what Jesus is focusing on here in this parable. He's talking about what happens in our lives today when this part of our life is being built on sand. The consequences of choosing not to forgive is not simply this punishment that will happen somewhere in eternity. No, it's a consequence that happens now. Bitterness is like a poison. It eats away at our joy. It robs us of peace. It seeps into all of our relationships. It can become, it just spreads toxicity in our work environment or whatever. It can even cause physical problems. I was talking with someone recently who told me a story about a woman who was receiving prayer for some physical healing in her body. And, and while they were praying for her, one of the prayer people felt like there was someone that this woman needed to forgive. And so they asked her about that. Is there someone you need to forgive? And she admitted this hatred she had towards someone in her life. So she chose, right then, she chose to forgive that person. And that physical ailment was gone the next day. Jesus is inviting us into an experience of shalom, of thriving, of life now, in the present. When we choose to obey him, when we choose to practice his teaching, we are being formed into his image. Our life is growing in shalom. The, the, the foundation of that particular area of our life is being built on the rock of Jesus, which can stand up to any storm. But if we choose not to practice his teaching in any or some particular area of our lives, if we decide that we know what's best in that particular area, we are choosing to build a portion of our life on sand. And our choices will eventually undermine and erode the wholeness and shalom that Jesus offers us. This, this parable, this contrast between these two people 
is a brilliant way to conclude the Sermon on the Mount. It's brilliant because it forces us to evaluate each area of our lives in terms of whether or not we are practicing what Jesus commands in that area. And to realize that that choice or those choices have a huge implication, they have huge implications in terms of the quality of life that we will experience in this life. What Jesus is doing here is he's really changing our whole paradigm as it relates to sin. I mean, so often people have this idea that sin is this decision to have a lot of fun in this life, and that God's really ticked off about that. So we better be ready for his judgment at the last day where he will punish people for their sin. But what I see more and more in Scripture, and certainly in the teaching of Jesus, is that that, that is such a shallow understanding of sin. Yeah, sin brings judgment, but the judgment it brings is primarily the natural consequences of choosing to build our lives on sand. The judgment this person in the parable experienced was that their house collapsed when a storm hit. They didn't have a solid foundation. See, that's what sin does in our lives. It erodes our experience of shalom. One of the words that the Bible uses for sin, one of the Greek words, it's a word that means missing the mark. That sin is like how far you miss them. It was a measurement for how far you've missed the mark. Well, the mark that we miss in terms of sin, the mark that we miss is the wholeness and shalom that Jesus longs for us to experience and that we long to experience. See, sin um, sin causes us to miss out on true life. That's what it does. It causes us to miss out on true joy and true life. In whatever area we are choosing to not follow Jesus' commands, that area is being built on sand. If we look back at the various topics that Jesus brings up in the Sermon on the Mount, we could pick any one of them and see how this plays out. For instance, anger. Jesus has this whole teaching in chapter 5 about how destructive anger is because it's a way of destroying people, not, not with a gun, but with gossip or slanderous words on social media or yelling at our kids. I mean, think about this and honestly answer this or think about how you'd answer this. Can any of us honestly say, that our anger has brought us greater levels of shalom and relational wholeness. I can't say that. Anger in my life has just caused personal pain and relational damage. Anger erodes our experience of joy and experience of relational wholeness. See, following Jesus in this area of anger makes sense. It makes sense. It is a good thing. He's not trying to restrict us with his commands. He wants us to experience wholeness in our relationships. Lust is another topic that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, right? In the same section in, um, in chapter 5, he warns about lust. Not to spoil our fun. He warns us about lust because he knows how destructive sexual lust can be in our lives. 
I mean, in the moment, lust feels really good, but it results in emptiness, guilt, an increasing loss of self-control and freedom as it takes more and more control of our lives, a desensitizing of our emotions, a distance in our relationships, and an objectifying and using of people created in God's image. I mean, again, this question, can any of us honestly say that lust has brought greater levels of wholeness and shalom into our lives? But this isn't only about sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites us to a life of prayerful intimacy with our Heavenly Father. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites us to not worry about things, but instead to trust our Heavenly Father to provide for us. In fact, Jesus makes this profound statement in that section. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In other words, worrying doesn't help us. It doesn't help us. Jesus is so practical in his teaching. (laughs) I love this. He knows how life works. He knows what will lead us into trouble and what will lead us into life. So at the end of this amazing sermon on the Mount, in which he's been teaching us about all these things, he urges us to not only hear his teaching, but to also put it into practice because of the shalom, the wholeness, the strength that that, those decisions will bring into our lives. Look again at this description. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What a powerful description of the life Jesus invites us to experience. In fact, notice the word Jesus uses to describe this person. He says that they are wise. He doesn't say they are pious. He doesn't say they are holy or religious. No, Jesus says The person who practices his teaching is wise. Now, this specific word he uses here literally means intelligent, smart. That's what the word means. This is a person who sees the empty promises this world offers, who sees the consequences of not following Jesus in that area, and they see the wisdom of following Jesus, and so they choose to practice his commands. They choose to do that. I love how Jesus' words here are not overly spiritual and holy. He's just talking about how life works. Following Jesus is a smart, intelligent, wise way to live. It has a positive impact on your heart, your relationships, your sense of well-being, your experience of freedom and peace and joy. There is a maturity that happens, and that maturity creates this strength and resilience in the midst of the storms of life. I think back to the Beatitudes that Jesus started this Sermon on the Mount with in chapter 5, you know, this list of kingdom values. What is the first word he uses to describe the result of anyone who puts these things into practice. What's that first word? Blessed. Blessed. 
When we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to align our lives with his commands, as described in the Sermon on the Mount, we experience the blessing of shalom, the blessing of wholeness, building our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying everything's going to be rosy and easy, not at all. But I am saying that those intentional decisions result in a strength, a maturing, the, 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 the blessing of wholeness that Jesus describes here. Again, this question or this statement, every one of us is building a life. Every one of us is building a life, whether you're in high school or you're in college, or you're on a career path, or you're starting a family, or you're nearing retirement, every one of us is building a life. The question is, what kind of life are you building? What kind of choices are you making? Jesus' words here are a sobering and yet life-giving reminder. Your choices matter. Your choices matter. Our choices determine whether our lives are being built on sand or on a rock. I remember my first week of college um, my, on my own for the first time. You know, lots of influences around me and some not so good. Thankfully, during those first few days I was there um, on campus, God put in my life a, a guy named Steve Muldrup who was an upperclassman. He was involved in a ministry called Ichthus. And, and so Steve invited me to a Bible study. And I am so glad I said yes. That decision, which seemed small at the time, that choice, that decision had a huge impact on the trajectory of my life. Our choices matter. What choices are you facing right now? In, in what areas of your life is Jesus inviting you, urging you to trust him enough to say yes to his commands and to let him establish your life in his strength and shalom? Let's pray together. And let's just quiet our hearts as you're watching this, you're engaging in this. I want to encourage you to quiet your heart. And let's just ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you speak to each one of us? And here's the question I want you to think about, each one of us to think about, what choices are you facing right now, in your life? What choices in terms of behavior and actions that you are taking, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in your family, maybe it's when you're behind closed doors and no one sees you. What choices are you facing? And here's the key question, where is Jesus urging you to practice his commands? Maybe certain choices you've not been practicing his commands. And he is inviting you, he is urging you in that area to say yes 
to him. Are you willing to do that? Let's just take a moment of quiet if he brings an area, a choice to mind. Are you willing to surrender that to him? And say, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you in this area. I want to forgive that person. I want to choose to not give in to lust or anger, whatever it is. God, I pray for each one of us that you would help us. Help us do that in your strength. Have the courage and strength to say yes to you and no to something else that's not from you. The other response I want to just lead you in is just this acknowledgement that all of us have areas of our lives where we've not chosen to follow Jesus in that area. And maybe there's a pattern of that. There's an area of our life that's just become a pattern. And often there's a lot of shame and regrets and guilt about that. And so I want to I just invite us to remember that Jesus' cross is big enough for all of our failures. And so I invite you right now, just close your, your eyes are closed. If your eyes are, if you're able to close your eyes, if your eyes are closed, that you would bring to Jesus cross all of those things, bring them specifically. You may want to even envision yourself handing them to him. Your regrets, your failures, your sins, struggles, just hand them to Jesus. And let him take those things. That's what he did on the cross. He took all of those things. And now receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. Today's a new day to walk with him, to follow him. So Jesus, thank you. We love you. We want to follow you. We want to build our lives on the rock of who you are rather than on the sand of, of what the world offers us. So help us walk in that strength and resilience and, and flourishing and wholeness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.